We are recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening. Hello everybody, my name is Priscilla and my name is Elise. Welcome to Noble Feelings, where we discuss representations of mental health issues in fiction novels. This is actually our final episode for season one. Woohoo! <laughs> we did it. We got through season one without knowing much about what we're doing. Yeah, we muddled through. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've we've sort of made it up as we've gone along, but uh, yeah, we got six episodes done, so I think we should pat ourselves on the back for that. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, hopefully in a good position to potentially do a season two at some point but no promises at the moment um yeah basically if we do get enough interests and if we have the time we might record a season two if there's interest um you know if we get some good reviews on apple podcasts or messages or you know people following us or contacting us on social media that all says to us really that we have a bit of an audience and we're keen to keep going. So, yeah, please let us know if you are interested in a season two, if you want to hear more from us. Um, love to, you yeah, know, love to see what we can do. Yeah, get in touch, people. Definitely. We're also going to put out a bonus episode next week and hopefully mm. we'll be reflecting more on season one then and we might also have some special content. Mm, yeah, a little bit of a deviation from our normal one review per episode kind of content. Yep. It will be a reflection on the good things about this year, which is that we've read a lot of books while having nothing else to do. <laughs> All right. So before we get started, I'll just give our usual disclaimers. So a quick reminder that this is a spoiler podcast um, and note that we are trained psychologists, but this podcast should never be taken as therapeutic advice. We also acknowledge that today we're speaking as psychologists and book lovers, not necessarily as people with the lived experiences of the mental health issues that will be covered in this book. Our voices are limited, but please stay tuned towards the end of this episode for some more information about these issues, including writing and perspectives from people with lived experience. Today we are reviewing Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. Chuck Palahniuk is an American freelance journalist, teacher, and novelist who describes his work as transgressional fiction. He is the author of a number of books, including, of course, Fight Club, Choke, Invisible Monsters, Haunted, and most recently, Adjustment Day and the graphic novel Fight Club 3. Just a summary about Fight Club. We don't talk about Fight Club. Uh, but I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> That's it, people. <laughs> End of episode, shortest <laughs> one yet. This is going to be so easy to edit. I can't wait. <laughs> okay, so for real, in Fight Club, a man suffering from insomnia meets a strange soap salesman named Tyler Durden and soon finds himself living in Tyler's house after his perfect apartment is destroyed. The two bored men form an underground club with strict rules and fight other men who are fed up with their mundane lives. Their partnership frays when Marla, a fellow support group crusher, attracts Tyler's attention. So let's, uh, let's discuss why we chose this book. Um, so first of all, Fight Club is kind of a cultural phenomenon. I mean, 
I feel like everybody's at least seen the movie Fight Club, which came out in 1999, Mm -hmm. um, or referenced Fight Club in the last 20 years. Uh, But this is a story that actually has one of the most famous plot twists in popular culture, and it has to do with mental health issues, and we are, you know, Obviously, that's relevant to our podcast. Mm -hmm. And once again, we are a spoiler podcast. So if you don't want to know about what happens in this book, walk away now. Maybe we should just talk about the spoiler now. We should, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, because, you know, we we are not going to be pretending that we don't know what happens until the end. But look, okay, the narrator and Tyler are the same person. That's the spoiler. I know, shocking. You've had 21 years. If you don't know that by now, I'm sorry. But (laughs) okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Spoiler over. Uh, (laughs) But um, in all seriousness, though, we have been mostly reviewing books that have been published in, well, I think entirely reviewing books that have been published in the last five years or so. And Mm. we thought it would be good to cover a book that is a little bit older. And certainly if we do end up recording more episodes, we'd love to review a few more classic books or a few older books and kind of talk about how mental health issues have been talked about in fiction novels historically. What we're covering today are dissociative identity disorder, insomnia, anxiety, mental health crisis, and suicide. Just as a note, dissociative identity disorder or DID is not clearly naming the story. The narrator does say dissociative personality disorder and schizophrenic at one point, sort of self-diagnosing inaccurately, might I Mm. add. Um, But the cultural consensus seems to be that this is an attempt to portray DID. But we'll get into that a bit later. Yeah, for sure. And talk about some of the things that maybe the story gets right about DID and some of the things that might not be so accurate. And I'll just give an additional uh, content note or trigger warning that we will be talking as well about violence, sexism, and an awful lot of toxic masculinity in this story. Oh, my God. I think (laughs) you sent me a message that says this is toxic masculinity, the novel, and that's all I could think about while I was reading this book. (laughs) It's just like, oh, my God, it's all – like I know it's a satire. I know it's a satire, and I'll I'll just keep telling myself that all throughout the book but I can't I can't get past it (laughs) yeah yeah it was you know just a note like I read this 10 years ago or so for the first time and Mm. I did not know as much as I do now um and you know I probably the first time I read this book was with a a very different lens and Mm. I think you know my opinion of the book has certainly changed a lot in the last 10 years so it was interesting to revisit it but I've got to say I I picked up on a lot more criticisms this time Mm. around than I did the first time I read it yeah well I am one of the very few people who have never read or seen Fight Club Mm. but you did you did know the story didn't you roughly yeah I yeah yeah, I knew it was about men beating each other up and (laughs) you know it was about multiple personalities but yeah so I went into this with really well, relatively fresh eyes. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I read the book for the first time, I didn't know the twist at the end. I knew that it had a twist, which is 
you know, a bit of an annoying way to read a book. Cause I think of, <laughs> there's an episode of the IT crowd where yeah. one of the characters gets told at the start of a movie that there's going to be a twist and you just can't get over the fact that there's going to be a twist. Right. Like, well, what's the twist? What's it going to be? Are we going to keep predicting it? And it just ruins the whole experience. <laughs> so it made me, it made me think of that a bit, but you know, 10 years mm. have passed. I've learned a lot, studied a lot more, and mm. well, I'll share my opinions as we go through the way yeah. all up front. <laughs> the novel begins with an unnamed narrator, a 30-year-old man sitting on the top floor of a skyscraper that's about to explode, with a man named Tyler Durden pointing a gun into his mouth. It's a very striking opening scene. Stakes are very high. Mm-hmm. And so after this opening scene, the novel flashes back and then the rest of it is told pretty chronologically. So we learned that um, a while ago the narrator was really struggling to sleep um, and was very bored with his corporate consumerist lifestyle, including his job, which was not very fulfilling. So he, uh, he worked in a, a field where he was calculating the cost of recalling cars to see if it was cost effective to recall the cars that had faults with them. You know, he was comfortable. He had a house full of, you know, matching Ikea furniture. <laughs> um, you know, he, he was doing okay, but just not very satisfied with life. Yeah. We never learn the narrator's first name um, or surname, of course, mm-hmm. throughout this story. So we will just be referring to him as the narrator. Uh, we learn that the narrator is struggling with chronic insomnia um, and we learn about this experience for him. So he's extremely exhausted, um, feeling physically and emotionally drained, lying awake at night with his mind churning away. He describes insomnia with this particular line where he says, everything is so far away, a copy of a copy of a copy. Um, I personally have experienced insomnia, um, which yeah, and I don't just mean like the occasional bad night's sleep. I went through a particularly rough period with it a few years ago where I was going for weeks and months on end, barely being able to sleep. And mm. I've got to say I really did appreciate the writer's descriptions of insomnia in here. Mm-hmm. Um, for me it was very much linked with anxiety and an inability to sort of turn off my brain as well as getting very caught up in being unable to sleep and worrying about sleep as well. So it's a bit of a catch 22 where you worry about sleep so that you're unable to sleep because of that worry. So that was the loop that I was stuck in. So I really did appreciate that description there and felt that that was quite an emotive way of Mm -hmm. talking about the experiences of chronic insomnia. We also learned that the narrator has been trying to figure out what to do about his insomnia. So he went to a doctor Um, suggesting like a herbal remedy and exercise. And then he also said to the narrator, if you want to know what real pain feels like, you should go to one of those cancer support groups. And Mm. I found that very frustrating because this was a very invalidating doctor. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You know, not very, not taking his experience particularly seriously here. Yeah. Um, And I know from my personal experience that it's really frustrating when people give their supposedly helpful suggestions like exercise as if that's a cure-all for insomnia. It's not. Yeah. Um, and there are ways to help cope with insomnia such as cognitive behaviour therapy, relaxation techniques, meditation and mindfulness. 
for me, it was professional help. So professional psychological help that Mm. worked for me in the end and learning a bunch of different techniques that I could use uh, that sort of supported one another and figuring out what, what worked for me. But, you know, I wish that doctor had said, why don't you try therapy? Which I think is going to be a common thing that we say throughout this episode. Why not therapy? Please go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I suppose this book is also written 20 years ago. Of course. Yeah. Still, we're looking at it with um, modern lens, I suppose, on mental health. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) But yeah, this is the first instance for me of please go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, won't be the last. Um, so he starts attending cancer support groups, despite the fact that he doesn't have cancer. Mm. In the groups, he bonds with the other participants. He does a lot of crying and eventually begins sleeping again. But soon another faker begins attending the groups, a woman named Marla Singer. The narrator is resentful towards Marla, which... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty... Uh pretty hypocritical of the narrator how judgmental he was towards Marla considering she is doing the exact same thing that he is doing wasn't he basically resentful towards her because with with her there he's a lot more conscious that he's faking it as well so he can't sleep then because he doesn't get to express his emotions but still (sighs) (laughs) in any case um, the narrator ends up taking a vacation one day while he's on a beach he meets a strange man named Tyler Durden and they have a bit of back and forth and sort of exchange contact details Mm. when the narrator returns home he finds out that his apartment has been damaged in some type of explosion heaps of property damage he's unable to live there and is completely shocked as he has no idea how this happened Unsure what to do, he ends up connecting with Tyler again, who agrees that the narrator can crash at his house for a while. One night after, I think, drinking at a pub for a while, uh, Tyler asks the narrator to hit him as hard as he can, and reluctantly the narrator does so, and they end up in a fight. And then they realise that they love fighting because it makes them feel alive and real and something-something toxic masculinity. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Beating the hell out of each other feels really good for some reason. I don't know. This yeah. is where I kind of started to roll my eyes a bit at the whole, you know, inherent yeah. male aggressiveness thing. But yeah. yeah, I suppose it's a way of expressing feelings. Mm. The reason that narrator could go to sleep after the support group meetings was because he got all of that emotions out of him. He connected with other people. And the narrator is definitely repressing a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not exactly open about much no. about what's going on. So yeah. this is one of the first opportunities he's had since the support groups to actually get some of this inherent rage and dissatisfaction with the world out. But, mm-hmm. you know, again, I just think, is this really the best way to do this? Uh, yeah <laughs> yeah no. in any case mm-hmm. they love it and yeah. you know obviously it keeps going on mm-hmm. so tyler works odd jobs as a waiter at a fancy hotel and a projectionist in a movie theater at night tyler is very nihilistic and pessimistic he uses his jobs to quote 
sabotage society, unquote, through small acts such as urinating in fancy dishes at the hotel and splicing single frames of pornography into family movies. He also makes and sells soap and sells it in fancy department stores. Pretty gross. They're urinating stuff, especially. Yeah, but also splicing pornography yeah. into family movies. I mean, that's, you know, it's pretty awful yeah. <laughs> once you yeah. stop to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, you know, it makes me think, why? <laughs> what, yeah. How is this effectively sabotaging society? <laughs> it's an act of rebellion towards something, mm. but it's not accomplishing anything except to make other people feel quite distressed the people that he's hurting don't presumably even realize that this is happening one uh interesting clue that we pick up on at this point is that tyler's jobs are all at night and that's when the narrator is sleeping because he works during the day another thing as well that we get from quite early in the novel is um the narrator often says i know this because tyler knows this So when talking about things like, for example, how to make soap or different household products that can be used to make explosives, um, Mm. you know, the initial implication is that he knows this because Tyler told him. But once you read it, knowing the twist at the end, it's because he and Tyler are the same person. It's pretty clever, actually. Over time, Tyler and the narrator found a secret society called Fight Club in which members, of course, fight one another. And the groups start pretty small initially, but as the book progresses, it becomes bigger and bigger. So, of course, people are sharing the news about Fight Club. Yeah. Um, to the point where lots of other chapters are springing up across the country. It's a concern, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> There's clearly something about this underground semi-secret Fight Club that is appealing to the characters in the story. Um, yeah. You know, the male characters in the story. There's no, there's there's no women. one female character yeah. in this whole story. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose I wonder if this is, again, this is a satire. So mm-hmm. it must be a commentary on, I don't know, the darkness of the masculinity or something. Yeah, I, I guess so. But yeah. one of the difficulties with this is that I find it hard to tell what elements the, the author is criticising or what elements he's advocating for so what happens next is tyler receives a call at his house from marla and goes to her hotel marla had attempted suicide and contacted the narrator tyler rushes over to try to save her the narrator believes she was doing this for attention which is uh. oh i hate that's (laughs) i hate the whole narrative about people attempting suicide or self-harming in any capacity for attention Mm. it's so invalidating and it's a very sort of stigmatizing attitude and one that's often applied to women more so than men yes there's definitely a misogynistic undertone to that idea of hurting oneself for attention um Mm -hmm. you know I don't want to go too much into it in this particular episode but you know, it's not it's not particularly accurate. I'm not saying it never happens or that yeah. there isn't some form of communication that can be a motivation. Mm. But, yeah. you know, in this case, like, the narrator has almost no empathy for Marla here and doesn't even want to go and help her when she's calling him for help. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that 
Marla seems to have mental health issues of her own. We learn that she's found lumps in her breasts, but either doesn't have the money or is too scared to enter treatment. Uh, she used to work in a funeral home to feel good about being alive, but Marla's really not a real character, in my opinion. She's not fleshed out, is she? No, she... No. Well, sorry, we never see her having any sort of inner life of her own. And I feel like her role in the story is just as a catalyst to changes in the narrator's life. Yeah, she's just like another kind of self-destructive force in his life. In any case, though, Marla and Tyler end up striking up a sexual relationship, um, which really irritates the narrator. Tyler tells the narrator not to mention him in front of Marla or the narrator will never see Tyler again. And Marla regularly stops by Tyler's house um, and he gets quite irritated by that Mm. too. And another clue here is that the narrator notices that he, Tyler and Marla are never actually in the same room together, initially believing that Tyler is avoiding Marla. Tyler goes on to form a new secret society called Project Mayhem. They engage a bunch of recruits. Tyler hosts hundreds of Project Mayhem members in his house, all of whom are extremely loyal to him. He also sends out his followers on missions to destroy society (laughs) through starting fights, bombings, vandalism, all sorts of anarchy, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, The narrator also attends Project Mayhem, but finds himself becoming somewhat concerned about what is happening. Yep, because this is a cult. (laughs) It's a cult, right? It is a cult. Yeah, they they give up. Exactly. They gave up their lives to join a group with a charismatic leader. Mm -hmm. And they do whatever he says. Yeah, they dress alike. They spend all day doing either chores around the house or doing things that are specifically prescribed by Project Mayhem to destroy society um, Mm -hmm. through, you know, it's anything ranging from like walking down the street and seeing if you can prompt a stranger to get into a fight with you to, you know, more kind of urinating in soup style yeah. things. But then they, they keep getting bigger and bigger to the point where it's not so much those yeah. small scale things. Like this, the scale definitely grows over time to the point where it is actually causing property damage yeah. and it is actually hurting people. For a group of men who's, are, who's all about destroying society and appending the rules they are very much into tyler's rules Mm. so while project mayhem goes on as usual tyler disappears altogether the narrator is confused and he tries to track down tyler by going to different bars and clubs eventually the narrator realizes the truth everyone thinks that he is tyler durden the narrator calls marla and she too addresses him as tyler Suddenly, Tyler appears before the narrator and explains that he's the narrator's alter ego. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> um, Twist. Yeah. Oh. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, he and the narrator share the same body, but Tyler is braver and more charismatic than the narrator. He's the narrator's unconscious wish fulfillment of his repressed desires. So, this means that the narrator actually blew up his own apartment. He's also the one who's been seeing and dating, dating in air quotes, I suppose, yeah. (laughs) Marla, organizing Project Mayhem missions and uh, converting human fat into soap and explosives. Yeah, we didn't touch on that, but... uh... It's so disturbing. It's so gross. (laughs) Anyway, with all of these realizations... The narrator, Fratton, of what he's becoming, tells Marla the truth. So this is the point where we should probably start talking about DID. Yeah. First of all, for those who might not be aware about what dissociative identity disorder is, um, so it used to be referred to as multiple personality disorder, but was revised in the last couple of decades. So essentially it's a mental health condition that involves the presence of an alter, which is a distinct identity or personality state and memory lapses or inability to recall events, as well as um, it can also be auditory hallucinations. These are the core sort of features of DID that are present and why I suppose the critical consensus is that this is what the narrator is experiencing DID um, mm-hmm. and you know that part I suppose is accurate but mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot of details about DID that are not particularly accurately done in this story so mm-hmm. I thought we should maybe go through some of those yeah you know a, another disclaimer of course um I we're not experts in DID it is quite a complex mental health condition mm. but this is just based on our understanding and our own research so one thing that the book doesn't quite get right is the trigger for did so did is caused generally by significant complex childhood trauma so it's seen as one of the ways a brain might protect someone from their real life environment in the book the narrator alludes to having an absentee dad and having experienced a parental divorce in his childhood that's sad but not quite the type of trauma that would usually cause DID yeah it's usually really really horrific Mm. um, long-standing types of traumas multiple traumas as well it's just something that happens when the environment is that intense Um, yeah And this means, of course, that the onset is generally in childhood, um, although it's often not picked up for years and years and years and misdiagnosed as Mm. well. Yeah. Going off on that, insomnia is unlikely to be a cause of DID. Neither is being unfulfilled at your job or feeling emasculated. That said, insomnia or poor sleep can often be a trigger or 
an early warning sign for things like mania. And, you know, not to dismiss the seriousness of insomnia, but yeah. And on that note as well, um, people with DID often have multiple alters, not just one in this case. Mm. Um, often the alters sort of serve, I guess, different purposes. They're responding to different needs and they can develop more over time. They don't just appear in immediately in childhood they sort of different alters may appear over the years um the switch between alters though is often not super distinct or overt or dramatic it's it can often be quite subtle and um alters often don't want the you know a person around them Mm -hmm. to know that the switch has happened because of stigma and misunderstandings and so on that happens so it's um it's not that sort of thing where suddenly someone switches to an entirely new obvious personality I mean that can happen but often it is um a bit more subtle our understanding is that they don't visually hallucinate an alter and think that they're standing beside them and interacting with them the way the narrator does in this book there's a video that we're going to link in our blog post which is from the youtube channel from med circle um where a woman with DID named Insina talks about her experiences with DID and she uses this analogy that I found quite powerful. So Mm. with DID, the way she describes it, it's like driving a car and then suddenly you're in the passenger seat and somebody else is driving the car. So when this happens, you might be experiencing a kind of co-consciousness. So you, you still understand what's going on. You're still there and able to communicate with Mm. The person who's driving the car but you're no longer in control or in control of the body but sometimes she might find herself in the trunk of the car and completely unaware and completely dissociated from what the alter is doing and how the alter is driving the car so there it really ranges but in any case you know I haven't really come across these this sort of idea of believing that you're talking to a person next to you that's that can happen in other conditions, but I wouldn't say that is a core feature of DID. The narrator says something about how he's in the same paragraph as him naming it um, dissociative identity. He also says that he's been having hallucinations. Mm. Um, I think schizophrenia is also mentioned somewhere. Those are very different things. Yeah, although comorbidity is possible, so meaning that people can have DID and other things going on. But yeah, um, I guess the point is really that they're not the same thing. No. Um, and it's not a core feature of DID to be having a hallucination in that sense. Yeah, and the alters are not hallucinations. No, yeah. they're not, definitely not. And then finally, one of the other things that we wanted to flag is that most people with DID are not violent um it's not sort of like um, an alter representing all your repressed aggressive tendencies um you know it's people with DID have often experienced violence or have experienced many different forms of abuse um and that's it's such a stereotype particularly in media um that people with DID are, are murderers, that they're antisocial, that they're going to hurt other people. Mm. Most people with DID are able to live a relatively normal life, hold a job, have relationships yeah. and so on. 
and that's not to say that it's easy to live with. Um, yeah. For most people, they you know, a lot of people will require some kind of long-term support, mm-hmm. but it's definitely not a case of people with DID being inherently violent. Those are the key things that we wanted to cover about DID. Yeah. So, you know, getting back to the plot, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, at this stage, we're, we're getting a lot of revelations about what's actually happened throughout the book. The narrator tries to shut down Project Mayhem and the Fight Club, only to realise that Tyler has prepared his loyal followers for this possibility. So the members throw the narrator out of the meetings and begin keeping tabs on him. Then the narrator discovers that his boss has died in a freak explosion, and he realizes that Tyler and Project Mayhem are responsible for this. Project Mayhem tracks down the narrator, addressing him as Mr. Durden, and prepares to castrate him for his disloyalty. (laughs) The narrator loses consciousness. Pretty intense. Yeah. Um, I don't like that sort of like physical violent stuff, but credit where it's due, the scene was really well written. It's really tense. Um, and I I wanted to I wanted it to stop, but I also was sort of stuck in it, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. After this scene, the narrator wakes up in the ruins of his old apartment. Um, thankfully he hasn't been castrated. Mm. So he ends up finding Marla who tells him that he, as Tyler, has murdered more people. Um, the narrator loses consciousness again, finds himself at the top floor of a skyscraper, right where he was at the beginning of the novel. Mm-hmm. And Tyler is there and explains that they, in quotation marks, will now die in a blaze of glory. And the narrator attempts to put a stop to this by having a suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does end up surviving the suicide attempt which we learn in the final chapter of the book or the epilogue the narrator is injured but alive he believes that he is in heaven but the reader can understand based on the context that he's actually in a hospital quite likely in some kind of psychiatric ward tyler hasn't actually disturbed him since his suicide attempt Mm -hmm. he's in contact with marla who writes him letters while he's recovering But occasionally Project Mayhem members stop by and keep addressing him as Mr Durden, saying that they're eager for him to get back to work. And that's how the story ends. I also wonder what that ending means for his DID. My interpretation of that was that the author was implying that Mm -hmm. through the, the way that he injured himself, that sort of destroyed the Tyler part of him. Right, um, yeah. Which is certainly not how that would actually no. work in with with DID in real life or mm-hmm. with that kind of injury in real life. Yeah. But I think that's the implication there. Um, but we don't know, of course, because we only get one scene after that happens. Hmm. It's a fitting ending to the book, I feel, because it's creepy still. Yeah, it's still ominous. <laughs> that's right. The Project Man members are like, We'll get you back, Mr. Durden. And I'm like, uh, please stop. <laughs> now let's dive into our favorite moments. Okay. Elise, what are your favorite moments? So I found that I enjoy the writing style of this book more so than the plot, I suppose you could say. Mm. So I do want to talk about 
how Chuck Palahniuk plays with language and plays with repetition. So, for example, there's um, a sort of stylistic choice he uses where he says things like, I am Jack's sense of impending doom, which is based on like a Reader's Digest article, which mm-hmm. where they talk about different organs in the first-person perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's used throughout the book to kind of describe how the narrator is feeling and is why in this in the film at least a lot of people refer to the narrator as Jack. And, yeah, there's just a lot of great sort of memorable lines that come up, such as the one I highlighted earlier, a copy of a copy of a copy, um, there's another line where he says, I wanted to destroy something beautiful, yeah. um, which is a bit, again, a bit jokerish to me. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that line has always struck me as memorable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because we have an unreliable narrator, but going into this, knowing the twist, you do pick up a lot of clues and it's quite interesting to do that as you go along. And the parts of the book where he slowly starts to realise what's going on, I found to be quite well written, even if, as we've discussed, they might not be the most accurate depiction of DID. Yeah. How about you? I agree. I think Jack Palahniuk is a really excellent writer. And what you mentioned before about his lines and his repetitions, I feel like they sometimes add to that sense of unreality. I definitely enjoyed going into this book knowing that the twist is there. So I like being able to pick up on the clues as well. Though... On the other hand, that sort of took away from my enjoyment because I just kept thinking, that's not really how DID works. <laughs> I think it might have been a different experience for you had you read this without knowing the twist. Yeah, I think it would have. In a weird way, those more tense and scarier Project Mayhem moments are also my favorite in terms of the writing. Mm. How about your star rating? Uh... I gave it a two stars. I'm sure there will be people who will say, you just don't get it. And I don't know, uh, maybe, but I think it's just not for me. Mm. Um, One of my friends actually laughed when she saw that I've read this. So that tells you how much out of my comfort zone this book is. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I, I think sometimes the satire aspect of this might be lost in translation a bit yeah so i find that if a man says this is his favorite book and tyler durden is the kind of masculine the kind of ideal masculinity that would be a huge red flag for me yeah imagine seeing that on someone's tinder profile or something (laughs) swipe left so hard (laughs) definitely (laughs) what about you what what is your star rating for this I originally, back 10 years ago, gave this five stars mm-hmm. and I blame being a teenager <laughs> I read this. Yeah. Um, I, I think I was a teenager anyway. It was roughly mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, look, I revised my rating after reading this again as an adult to three stars. Yeah. Um, and I might be being a bit generous there. <laughs> I think it's three stars mostly for the writing and the moments that I flagged earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I found that this book didn't really live up to my memory of it. And, you know, mm-hmm. let's just say I've learned a lot about feminism, the patriarchy and <laughs> mental health since then. So, look, it's a classic. It's a sort of story that is memorable. It gets under your mm. skin. 
And I do understand and can relate to the parts about things like existential dread, consumerism, um, anti-consumerism, I should say, and (laughs) anti-capitalism and about being successful but deeply unhappy. But overall, I just feel like it relies too much on shock value and being edgy. Um, mm-hmm. I struggle to find much substance once you actually get beyond the shock of some yeah. of the things that happen. So I found it interesting in some of the interviews that Chuck Palahniuk has refused to say whether we should regard Tyler Durden as a hero or a villain, which makes it difficult for me to tell whether the author is criticising his actions and the actions mm-hmm. of Project Mayhem or if he's actually championing it or saying that there's value in it. So, yeah, I don't know, regardless of his intentions and whether this book is designed to be a satire or not, so many people idolise this story and idolise Tyler Durden and his alpha maleness and, you know, I find that disturbing. Yeah. And, you know, as we flagged, I really wish that we'd had more nuance in Marla's portrayal as the one female character in this. Yeah. Um, I would have loved her to have been built up a bit more and been a bit more 3D. Yeah. As we've discussed, you know, the portrayal of DID is not particularly strong. It's really just a plot device or a plot mm. twist. It's treated more like a metaphor. And I don't really agree with using mental health issues, particularly trauma um, or, yeah. or trauma-based mental health issues, as being a metaphor. I think yeah. that's not a good idea. Mm. And I acknowledge this was written in the 90s and it might have been, you know, there's less going on in the mental health advocacy world. It might have been more challenging to research. What we knew about DID was different then. But, look, I can only really look at this accurately through a 2020 lens and what Mm. I know now and, you know, as we've discussed, it just doesn't quite hit the mark with DID. Yeah, and I suppose that's the interesting thing about reading classics. You sort of acknowledge that, There were limits, I suppose, in the time period that the book was written, but you can't justify it, I suppose, knowing what we know now. Mm. And that's not to say that if you like this book, you're wrong or (laughs) that you can't enjoy it because of the way DID is portrayed, Mm. but we still need to have that critical lens when we're reviewing this and Mm. see things in terms of their complexities and see things as having shades of grey. It's just in this case, I think, you know, it's not really the book for either of us. No, I am swiping left on this book. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into our recommended reading, shall we? Mm -hmm. On our website, some of the resources that we will link to include educational resources about DID. We will also include articles which talk about the often inaccurate portrayal of DID in film, and some articles about the myths and facts around DID as well. And if you like this book and you're interested in checking out something similar, if you like that kind of thriller aspect, Mm -hmm. um, if you like shock value, if you like people acting far outside of the norms of society, then you might enjoy his other work. Some of his well-known novels include Choke and Invisible Monsters. Unfortunately, I haven't really come across any particularly good discussions around DID in fiction novels. Yeah. Um, but, you know, listener, I urge you, if you have come across any of these, please let us know. We'd be keen to check them out in the future. Yeah. The 
the only thing I can think of is the character of is it Ali in Heroes? Um, oh, I haven't seen Heroes. Oh, uh, I don't know if I recommend it, but uh, <laughs> there is a character in Heroes who has DID. Um, mm. I can't remember if that was accurate or not. So, but if you do remember it, feel free to let me know. Mm. Mm. There's also the TV series United States of Tara, starring T- Tony Collette, mm. um, which was on a few years ago. I haven't seen it personally. I have heard that it's fairly good representation of DID. Mm-hmm. People have said it's as compared to a lot of the other depictions of DID in popular media, it does a pretty good job. It's well-researched and mm-hmm. it's much more accurate in terms of things like causes of DID and how it might be expressed. Yeah. So if okay. you've seen it and want to comment on it, please let us know. Maybe we should check it out. When it comes to including voices from lived experience, so unfortunately we couldn't find anything specific where a person living with DID talks about Fight Club, although I'm sure it is out there somewhere. We just weren't able to track it down. Mm. But what we will be linking on our episode blog is the YouTube video that I mentioned earlier featuring Encina from Med Circle's YouTube channel. It's well worth a watch. Mm. So please check them out. And that wraps us up for today and for season one. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Okay. (laughs) It's amazing. Thank you so much for listening to us this year. And we hope you have a lovely Christmas and New Year period. We all deserve a break after 2020. And if you are in lockdown and we're lucky in Melbourne, this might be. I'm hoping that this is still the case by the time this episode actually goes to air. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we're lucky where we are in Victoria in Melbourne that we aren't having particularly high numbers of COVID-19 cases, but we know that's not the case elsewhere in Mm. the world. So if you are in lockdown, we hope that you're doing okay and that you're staying safe and that you do still have a bit of a break over the Christmas and New Year period. Yeah. Look after yourselves. For all the resources that we mentioned in this episode, check out our website, noblefeelings.com. We post an episode summary and links to further reading for each episode, as well as information about getting support for you or somebody you care about. If you like us, please remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to emphasize that again, because if you want us to record a season two, please let us know that you like what you've heard. We'd love to know if our audience is keen to hear more from us. Yeah. If you want to ask us a question or just to chat, you can send us a message via our website or by us on social media. At the moment, we are on Twitter and Goodreads. Find us on Twitter at novel underscore feelings and on Goodreads via goodreads.com slash novel underscore feelings. You can also find me on Bookstagram or Instagram. Um, <laughs> my username there is at paved with books with an extra S. Well, we hope to see you all in 2021 if we do end up recording season two. In any case, please check out our bonus episode launching soon, where we'll be reflecting on the process of recording season one, as well as talking a little bit more about some of our favorite reads of 2020. Not necessarily just about books featuring stories about mental health issues as well. Mm, Just excellent books. Excellent books in general. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening, everybody. See you next time.